Hi, and welcome to the How Not to Think podcast, the podcast that gets you thinking about your thinking and different ways of reacting, which is totally appropriate today because I really am excited to have with me uh, Bill Ottman. He is the founder of a new social platform, or at least a rival social platform to Facebook, uh, called Minds. We'll get into that. Um, it is going to be a great show. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin. It's great to have you with me. And uh, without further ado, let's hear from Bill. Bill, welcome so much. Thanks for having me, Howard. Yes. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your journey that got you to create an alternative social media platform that focuses on different things other than the profit motive. Yeah. So it's really been all about first principles and, you know, from the very beginning back in 2011, which is when the idea sort of first started manifesting, you know, it was really about these pillars of principles, transparency, almost hyper transparency, privacy, community ownership, and sharing the, the revenue and rewarding the community because, you know, uh, uh, how could we imagine a sustainable network that is working for the best interests of everybody with, without doing those things? So, you know, it was very early. I mean, I remember back then talking about privacy and everyone was just like, no one cares about that. It, it's it's and, and very few people did. And th that was right at the beginning, like right when Facebook was starting to explode and you know, this, it was just so great how much you can share. And it is in many respects. And so mm -hmm. I try not to, you know, over polarize the situation. I, I do think that there's certain good that has come out of web 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, then we had all of the Snowden revelations and people started to see down the rabbit hole a little bit. And it's just over time, every pillar has become more, um, obvious to the world. And so we've just had this natural organic growth and yeah, now we're here. And so again, the, the platform's called Minds and it works totally different from Meta, Face, First Book, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who knows uh, what, whatever they're trying to call themselves yeah, to, yes, to yeah. avoid uh, <laughs> the reality. Yeah. And, and so you rightly say that social media has a lot of positives to it, but there's also some downsides to it. And it it is so powerful that I think it really has to be, be thought through very carefully. And it sounds like you and the people working to help you develop minds have done that on principle designed to do that. To right. um, Open source really infected my consciousness in a good way. Um, mm. this, I, this idea of, you know, which people don't, I still don't think fully realize is that there's two main different types of software that you use in all of the apps and on mm -hmm. all your computers. And there's, there's software and apps that are transparent with the user and show kind of the blueprints of how they're built. And, um, and there's those that don't. And if you don't have access to that, not that everyone's going to go inspect the code, but you know, the peer review community, the experts mm -hmm. will, right, and right. they do. Um, so I, I started learning that there's a, there's a difference. There's apps that in websites you go to that are transparent with the community. And there are apps that are not like, for instance, some that people may know would be, um, you know, Firefox and uh, Wikipedia. Um, you know, Wikipedia is famously open source and they completely disrupted the whole encyclopedia mm -hmm. sphere. And mm -hmm. you know, now we're seeing it with Bitcoin and, and, and crypto. Bitcoin's fully open source, decentralized, transparent money, and it's mm. fair. And, and, and they're going viral for a reason. And so we just originally thought, look, this is going to happen with social networks. The values are there. And over time, people are just going to gravitate towards networks that respect them more. So yeah, that's what we've been doing. Yeah, and I think that's true, that people will, and we've seen that. Um, 
it might take more awareness and, and people listening to you and you know this podcast a few thousand times to get it but but um you know it is it is difficult for me when I am on, you know, one of these other platforms, which shall not be named. Uh, and I see, oh, here's a quiz about, you know, what are your favorite things? What are you, you know, and all they're doing is just getting information <laughs> about you so they can sell you to the advertiser and, and what have you. And I, I just think it's sort of the sleaziest form of advertising you know hg wells said advertising is legalized lying this goes beyond lying really is stealing it is and that's the, the the lack of consent is really the issue you know i think that in terms of like participating in enhanced targeting you know yeah like in certain ways it it's malicious in itself. But I do think that, you know, some people might want specified content recommendations. You know, if they love fishing, then, you know, they might want some extra posts about fishing, like under a certain category. But the fact that you, no one can inspect how much they're actually following us around. Um, And, you know, even if you're not on Facebook, you're there, they know all the websites you're going to in your whole browser. So just because you're not on that site, you know, they know your exact location, even if your location is turned off in many regards, they, you know, there's a huge debate, which, you know, I'm not going to claim to know the answer to, but a lot of people think that the microphone, you know, is actually processing language and is feeding you recommendations. And, you know, that's like, you know, it's, it's hotly debated, but again, they can't prove the, the speculators wrong because they won't show the code. So, you know, until the transparency is given, I think that there's reason to be suspicious. Yeah, it is kind of scary, you know, when you, uh, you know, you have a conversation, you know, with my, I have a conversation with my wife joking about, I don't know, something, uh, whatever. And then the thing pops up on the, <laughs> an ad for the very thing we were just talking about pops up. I haven't put it on that side. I haven't done anything where did they get it from it's amazing yeah and 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 how the data can be used you know retroactively um in is is really dangerous you know i think that free speech unfortunately has become incredibly politicized over Mm. the last five years you know traditionally it's not been a political you know it was both the left and the right totally agreed with free speech and now it's become um unfortunately a, a, a polarizing issue but you know, what happens when the big social networks ban a whole, you know, sometimes certain words, they'll just completely ban sometimes topics like, you know, COVID or, or whatever it is, they'll just ban any conversation of it. And when that happens, it, the, the, the Overton window shifts. So the, the, the frame of acceptable discourse is now smaller. And now there's a whole new um, section of the discourse that becomes the new dangerous language. Mm-hmm. So then that gets banned and then the Overton window, you know, closes in. And so, so <laughs> that's what people don't, I think don't realize is that when you give an inch, you, you know, you're really giving a mile on the long term. Especially if you can't see what how far people are going <laughs> with it. And they're not clear whether they've gone an inch, a meter, or a kilometer, or a mile with it. No, I think you have to assume the worst. For me, you know, a lot of this goes back because of my psychology um, background. And, and in my book, I think, therefore, I'm wrong. Um, one of the conclusions that I come to is that if you want wisdom, not necessarily being smart, but wisdom comes from virtue, from, you know, being humble, being forgiving, being, you know, all of those things. If you, if, if that's where you're coming from, uh, as soon as you change that and you change it to power, control, money, then we're really off the, the deep end. And I think we see that a lot, all the time. Absolutely. And I mean, it's counterintuitive, you know, traditionally, especially within tech, to think that if you give it away 
you're actually going to make a more sustainable business in the long term, you know, because traditionally it's all just been about, uh, yeah, keep keeping it all your trade secrets to yourself. Um, and that that's how you're going to maximize your revenue is if you're just as cutthroat as possible, you don't share any, any IP. Um, and actually what we're learning with specifically software is that that is hitting a brick wall. Um, and we're, we've even seen Microsoft who used to be very anti-open source. They're now adopting, they have a whole massive open source initiative. You know, most of the, the popular exploding apps are focused. I mean, Coinbase, for instance, is one of the top is number one app. I mean, it's, and it's selling Bitcoin, which is, you know, all open source Mm -hmm. and, you know, signal, which is a a open source encrypted messaging app is at the top of the ranks. And so, so, because when you give the information, you're respecting your community and your users. And also you're getting a lot of the smartest people in the world to respect you, the software developers and the and computer scientists. Mm-hmm. And, and when they can peer review it and help contribute to it, it becomes this very collaborative system that um, isn't really possible when companies are keeping everything secret. No, and, and that collaborative model runs, as you rightly just said so eloquently, you know, completely counter to the um, sort of egotistical, got to be the best, you got to be the first, you know, um, uh, mentality. I don't, I don't think it works that way. And I think part of the reason it doesn't work that way is that is an exaggeration. It's an overgeneralization. Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah, of course, everyone believes, you know, you do hard work, you, you do diligence, um, but it doesn't mean you then try and screw everyone over as much as you can. That, that's where you go south, I think. Yeah. And there's really novel licensing models that are emerging, you know, so it's not as if, you know, if you want to make your project open source, that you're just giving it away for anyone to do whatever they want with it. There's a whole spectrum of different licenses that you can use. Like the public domain is like the, you know, most free option where anyone can just take it and do anything they want with it. Um, But then there's all different licenses. Like the one that we use is called the general public license. And it actually has a clause that if people can take it, they can make their own application with it. They can monetize it, but they, if they make changes to it, they have to change, share those changes with the whole community. So it's actually this idea of copy left, um, (laughs) which is a a pretty fun idea. And so, so it keeps the incentives, right? So, so you're not risking someone, you know, just hijacking it, but you, the transparency is there. And, And then there's all these other types there's creative commons licenses there's many open source licenses and you know i encourage people who are artists who are creators to really you know think about this more whether yeah whether you're a developer or an artist it applies to your work and um you know the remix culture i think is just insanely powerful Mm. in terms of like you know the grateful dead famously gave away you know they were the first band to let people record their music and it Mm. it became the greatest marketing campaign of all time absolutely yeah, 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 absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and there's clear uh, sort of thinking about how not to think, serious thinking errors in assuming you got to keep it all to yourself. Um, I don't think it works that way. Um, now, obviously, the platform has got, uh, you know, a lot of um, praise from people who, you know, like what you're doing, not just in terms of open source and sharing and non-exploitation, but the ability for people to express themselves without feeling they're suddenly going to be, you know, odd for 30 days or, or what have you. Um, and I think that's important. And to me, that really goes down to a core sort of psychological, almost philosophical principle that we've lost here in contemporary culture. Now, when I was uh, studying psychology way back in the last millennium, um, one of the first, uh, actually the first uh, essay I had to write as an undergraduate was, how might intergroup conflict be reduced? And the answer, of course, is getting people to sit together and get to know each other, <laughs> right? 
Weird, huh? Yeah, isn't that weird? Yikes. Why would I sit down with some crazy guy like him? But, you know, we've just gone off in the totally opposite direction. And it is it is so inappropriate. It is so wrong. And not to mention hypocritical. Um, it, and, and all it, do, it does is just divide, divide, divide. And that's not how it should be. Yeah, it, it's, it's really sort of shocking that we've reached the point socially where, you know, even, you know, let, let's forget about the, the far extremes for a second. Right. You know, right, the, right. the violent people on the left, far left and far right. right, right. Let's just talk about normal everyday Democrats mm-hmm. and Republicans. Right. They right. are currently calling each other radical terrorists. And, you know, they both think that. So at the family dinner table, I mean, it's warfare. Mm. You know, some families are getting torn apart. Friends are getting torn apart because the media is is pushing this, you know, non-conversational agenda where, you know, they they they're calling each other uh, extremists and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they won't have people from the other side on to, to have a respectful debate about different issues. And, you know, there's this idea that censorship works and, and there's just no evidence for that. Very little evidence. And, and actually, so we've been pulling together almost like an anthology of, of a lot of the research in this area, which we're going to be releasing this quarter. And the studies that they point to around, um, for instance, when I'm sure you saw the Dave Chappelle controversy with Netflix. And so they were saying that, you know, words can have real world harm. This is, this is the phrase that they're using. And there's, and there's one study that sort of, I mean, look, we all recognize that media influences us and can cause us to feel certain ways. Um, but in terms of, you know, someone having an emotional experience, you know, that's being called real world harm. And so then that gets conflated in the media to be violence. Yep. So, they're, so, so they're completely taking out of context the studies that are even being referenced. And, and there, like there was one study done analyzing hundreds of millions of posts on Reddit. And because Reddit started enacting a bunch of censorship policies on, on uh, like the Trump subreddit and, and, and a number of others. And the study showed that, yes, in an isolated system, of course, if you ban certain words or certain people, then yes, you are going to be able to influence that isolated system. But look, we're talking about networks and interconnected networks and a whole topology of different websites Mm -hmm. and and apps. So when you ban people, so, so the study ultimately said that, okay, yes, you can have impact in an isolated system, but clearly these users were all going to darker corners of the internet and just going somewhere else. It's whack-a-mole. And, um, but the media took that and they said, no, look, it works because it works in an isolated system, but that's not what it said. So, um, you know, the overwhelming evidence shows that, you know, the, the negative psychological impact of, of people getting banned is, is devastating. There have been many instances of direct violence. In one instance, YouTube banned this woman and she walked right in with a gun and shot two people. Um, and, you know, not that that's YouTube's fault. No, no, but, no, no, no. <laughs> but we have to recognize that people, you know, they're totally reinforced in their views. They think it's a big conspiracy that they, they go into this dark place and, Yep. And all the evidence from people like Daryl Davis and other de-radicalization experts shows that the, the compassion-based approach is the only solution long-term. Yeah. No question. No question about that. Um, and all that yelling and screaming at people does is just polarize them even more, polarizes you even more. Now, it's hard, I have to admit, one of the difficult things to do is... Hey, if you don't agree with somebody and they are, you know, spouting off to, you know, not lose your cool, but it's, but that's really key. That is really key. And of course, we have been manipulated by the press to lose our cool, to get mad. That's the whole point of the messaging is let's get people mad enough so they will then do what we want them to do, you know? And right. And the, just because you're able to 
you know, have a degree of compassion or not, you know, get totally triggered when you see something, it doesn't mean that, you know, you think that's okay or that you're not going to do anything about it. Right. So, so having tolerance for extreme speech, you know, again, that is being conflated as like, as, as if you support it because you're, because you're open to dealing with it, but it couldn't be further from the truth because actually the only way to deal with it is to be able to deal with it. So, um, you know, on the long term, for like the next decade, we're really going to be looking at, you know, we believe in our hypothesis that our rate of deradicalization or people changing their minds in a whole variety of ma- of ways will be drastically higher than on big tech, and that is simply because big tech is not even providing people with any opportunity to change their minds or be redeemed. Right, or right. so so they're they're not going to have any rate of deradicalization It'd be zero so any right. any positive growth that we can show is going to be a step in the right direction absolutely absolutely and it's it's so frustrating for me when now i'm not talking and I, i'm sure that you're not too talking about you know extreme terrorism or extreme anything we're not talking about that but we're talking about people who have different views from you uh, and, you know, the, the, the wisdom is about the ability to open your mind, listen to those things. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you accept them, but it means that you are listening to somebody and giving them the respect that you hope they will give you. But that whole respect for an alternative view has completely disappeared completely disappeared to the point of absurdity really absurdity i've read yeah, no, it, it it is almost a caricature a caricature of the of the prior you know situation and i mean you know so you mentioned uh true terrorists and i think that you so look obviously we have to ban people who are making threats and you know any kind of calls for violence or right. or any of any any of that um though in a case like daryl um you know the KKK would, you know, there's been debate. Uh, many people think they should be called a terrorist organization, and there are clearly many violent people in there. But so, Daryl, what you just said, it's all about listening. And if you listen to people for long enough, then eventually they'll ask you a question. And this is what he did with the KKK. He'll sit down. He has no agenda. He just sits there and listens to them. And over the period of, you know, a couple of years, they start to become really curious and ask him questions. And these are like dangerous people, mm-hmm. you know, many of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And so it gets pretty hairy when we know that the research shows that even with the most extreme people, the same strategy actually theoretically should be applied to them. You know, they're humans mm-hmm. too. We mm-hmm. do want them right. to come back from right. the brink. Actually, right. one of the co-authors of our paper, Jesse Morton, who um, is a collaborator of of, of with Daryl and, you know, he's been all across the media because he is actually a reformed uh, jihadist. Um, mm. uh, well, yeah. he was a recruiter. He wasn't actually, but he was an, uh, well, an Islamic, mm. uh, you know, al- he, he was part of Al Qaeda. And mm. now his whole life is dedicated to de-radicalization because he got educated. He talked to people and he came back from that world. So, um, But it's still hard. It's not everyone's cup of tea. And I I think a lot of it comes down to reframing the very experience of, you know, consuming a newsfeed itself. Like we're really working on on new indicators to to users so that they're more prepared to see something that's different. And if they do see something that is, you know, counter to their ideology, that they they re just pause for a moment and think, is it is it most beneficial to you to get really upset by this piece of content? You know, because why do you want to ruin your day mm-hmm. from seeing something that is offensive? Like maybe you could find catharsis like many of these uh, of counter-terrorists and positive interventionists by, by taking a breath and, and maybe even engaging. And I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but you know, that's kind of the hard work that has to happen in, in, what would be a sort of ideal vision for us would be, you know, while Facebook has tens of thousands of moderators just banning content as fast as they can, 
we would envision more of a world where we have tens of thousands of mental health experts mm -hmm. and um, volunteer uh, positive interventionists mm -hmm. working on our platform to, to talk to people. Right. And to, so, so rather yeah. than banning them, we can still, you know, isolate the, the people who are really trolling hard and, but you know, you don't ban them. You, you, you put them into a room and let them keep talking. Absolutely. And that's the way to facilitate the more open-mindedness and more respect. Again, you can disagree with somebody, um, but you can still respect either their right to have that view and, uh, you know, walk in someone else's shoes. If you'd had their life experience, perhaps you might have the same views too. Uh, you won't know that until you speak to them and find out what their life experience is and how it expresses itself. Well, that's and profound because, yeah, I mean, particularly people, you know, being born in Afghanistan. I mean, think about the social pressure that, I mean, this is your media experience. This is what you have learned. They, it's, it's almost they barely have a choice. They're lucky if they've seen even a piece of information that is contrary that could pull them out. And that's why, you know, spreading the Internet and, and giving people access generally to more information is is the way to pull them out. Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, um, as I told you before we started the show, Bill, eight years ago, I lost my psychology license um, after I had a very brief consensual relationship with a former client. And, you know, I lived in this community for a long time. I was well known, I was well respected, and suddenly I'm on the front page of the newspaper uh man with all the sensitivity of a rap sheet um not very well written um and wow suddenly i'm thrown into this position of shame humiliation very interesting so i'm walking around my neighborhood uh, with my dog and here comes a neighbor and they see me and they turn around and walk the other way and that was such an amazing, insightful moment for me. Suddenly, I actually felt, not just knew theoretically, I felt what it would be like if you're a minority of any sort walking down the street and people cross over or whatever, disown you and shame you like that. And I wouldn't change that experience for anything now it turns out that i think the woman was turning around because our dogs bark at each other uh, and she probably didn't have anything in her mind like that but that didn't matter that was the context in which i was working at that point and it's so illuminating so illuminating uh, how that can happen and you know it's very difficult for us to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Hey, sometimes we can't even walk in our own shoes, right? So it is so difficult, but we do owe each other that respect to try to understand, you know, and I've seen some amazing change, turnaround in people. Have amazing. You, you have a, a, a period of you know, in that transition period where you, you know, were, were feeling those, that negative impact until, you know, the turnaround, how long did it take for you to turn around from kind of that, that negative psychology? Um, obviously it was, I was in a, you know, very negative state. Um, I wouldn't say that I was, I was suicidal, um, mm -hmm. but um, you know, if a car was coming fast at me, <laughs> I'm not sure how quickly I'd turn the, turn the wheel. Let's put it that way. Um, but then not long after this experience, I said to myself, okay, what are you going to make of this? How do you make the best of this experience of where you are now? That's what you have to do. How do you find meaning? in what is happening and what you're going through. And it would have been very easy for me, and I know people who've done this, but very easy, you know, I could have taken it to the appeals court and I could have fought this thing. And, you know, I'd probably still be doing it eight years later. Mm. No, and I, 
No, that's not what I'm meant to be doing. This is a direction. Okay. Start something, you know, what does this mean? There's always meaning. And as Viktor Frankl says, the one thing you do not take away from anyone is your ability. How do you respond to a situation? Mm. And for me, that has you know, been very important. In some ways, these last few years have been fantastic. I've met amazing people like yourself, uh, you know, written tons of books, and it's just been phenomenal. Um, once I decided, once I decided, what do you, what do you, how do you make the best of this? And I, it's, I imagine that you knew that the media coverage and whatnot was not fairly characterizing the situation. And, you know, maybe it wasn't worth it to fight that battle with them or the courts, but I think that, you know, we've had similar, similar experiences, um, Largely, you know, I, largely the media has, has really loved us, but in a couple of cases, they've totally mischaracterized like this one vice piece and vice is sort of notorious for being mm -hmm. ideological, but mm -hmm. they, you know, I had a two hour conversation with those editors all about our de-radicalization strategy, much of what, what I just went mm -hmm. into and they, they heard me, they said, Oh yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And then when the piece <laughs> came out, it was it didn't acknowledge anything I had said. It just said, you know, minds has no idea what to do about, you know, the neo-Nazis. And it was so agenda-based and I, but because I knew that it was not reality, you know, you just have to keep going and you have to press, you know, on with, with your own work and proving yourself in, to yourself. And then that eventually will echo out. So, That's right. yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even respond um, to the newspaper's request for comment. I just simply because I thought it would just drag the whole thing out. Um, and yeah, the, the chairman of the board uh, of uh, you know a psychologist in South Carolina said, "Well, it was an open and shut case because Rankin agreed." That he'd had this relationship. No, I agreed. I had a relationship with a former client. That makes a difference. Right? Yeah. Then he said, "Oh, he's the first person I've had to take his license in the ten years I've been on the board." No, that wasn't true. In fact, there were like two hundred people who did not renew their licenses for a variety of reasons. Some of them, you assume, would be because they didn't want to face. And he hadn't been on the board ten years. He'd only been on seven years. Okay. Now. One of the things that happens in these situations is there's always stuff like that. And you have to be really careful that it does not deflect you. And you start blaming everyone else and you take no responsibility for what you did. Right. Right. That's the problem. And, and you know, I, I do think that there is sort of a schism between, you know, I do feel responsibility for creating an app application and th that does handle speech differently not it's not just like a wild west <laughs> where you know it, it, just for the sake of it like we actually want people to have full power over their own algorithms full power over their feeds full power to open or close their echo chamber however they want to i mean the vast majority of users on minds are like creators and musicians and artists and journalists but, you know, yes, there's this small percentage of, you know, more, more extreme uh, people and every social network deals with this. They just deal with it in different ways. And we're, I'm not willing to um, push it, push the problem under the rug and make it and somebody else's problem because that is what they're all doing. And that's, that's why it is no, it's very <laughs> likely that the, hyperpolarization and rhetoric that we're seeing now is partially being caused by by all of the by big tech and the media i mean so so you know they are complaining about extremism but their behavior is exactly. basically the primary driver <laughs> no that's exactly exactly right are you familiar with matt tabby's book hate inc 
I haven't read it yet, but I'm definitely familiar with Matt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a phenomenal book. And he points out that this is a, a trend that has been developing in the media going back two or three decades, where be decisive, uh, be divisive, uh, you know, get get people going, get more interest, get more views, you know, get more profit. Yep. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the media today is, you know, if you've, if the story isn't we've got a helpless victim and a Hitler-esque monster, we're not really interested in running it, you know, and that's that's horrendous. But what's fascinating to me is that that's entirely true. And I think that we do generally know that sensational content um, does perform, you know, I don't know if it performs better, but it, mm-hmm. it can go more viral. But people like Matt Taibbi, Greenwald, um, you know, a lot like, who are sort of traditionally on the left, they're more progressive and, but actually, but they're free speech to the core. Right. They know that this is, you know, you can't budge on that. And they're very, you know, important and, and they have huge, large followings. I mean, like, so, the, and they're not sensational, but no. they're very creative about, you know, they're great writers and the way that they frame things, you know, they, they care about the truth. And the truth is viral. Right. So, right, exactly. so, so extremist sensationalist propaganda is viral, but truth is also viral. So you don't have to like reality is crazy. All you have to do is cover the world as it is. And it's very just on its face, like very uh, interesting. And you don't really have to put too much icing on it. And I think that that's what journalists like those have figured out is that it's, it's unnecessary to lie and lying is just in, or, or, you know, pushing out sort of this polarized agenda, you know, in the short term, it might be valuable in the long term, it's devastating. And that's why everyone is just not even watching mainstream media that much anymore. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree completely. Yeah. And as long as, yeah, that, again, it's that sort of, what might be considered low-hanging fruit of the short-term impact of a sensational story. But, you know, how much, so what? So you got a few eyeballs or you got a few million eyeballs. So what? Where does that go? You know? Right. And people <laughs> get there and, you know, half the time it's uh, anticlimactic and yeah. you, know, you can see that it was clickbait. <laughs> and then, pe- so, so people, they, they clicked, but guess what? They're not coming back. No, that's right. No, yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote an article on that called The Five Things I Hate About Listicles, uh, and that was one of them, mm-hmm. you know, that it's an illusion. It's a short-term illusion, really. Who cares how many eyeballs? You know, I, you know I'd rather write a piece that had 50 eyeballs of people who were interested than a, a million eyeballs and two people who were interested, you know? Right. And what, what's been great is to watch the long form podcast really explode. I mean, we have tons of podcasters on minds uh, and mm. that's it's it's thoughtful. It's nuanced. It is long form. So people listen for a long time. That's great for business. Mm-hmm. I mean, for everybody's business, mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it's great. So you don't why do you want this short term listicle when you can have a four hour podcast <laughs> that people are enthralled over and then they just want more and more like that's actually what the future of media is yeah that's interesting um it, it, you would hope so because the way we've been going recently uh i don't think goes anywhere good at all really for anyone except maybe the bottom line temporarily for the groups trying to push it out you know you know, I do, I do have hope that transformation, I, I think they're going to have legacy media, legacy tech, they're not going to have any choice but to change. And, you know, this is actually what we're starting to see with um, Twitter and Facebook and like, so Facebook changing its name to Meta, obviously that is you know, they're having an existential crisis. They know that they've lost all the trust in the brand. Um, but the metaverse is actually originally um, part of the cryptocurrency movement. And it's what, what's called Web3, 
which is all about user sovereignty, users owning their data, owning their content. And there are these, like there's one, one of the original Web3, I mean, sorry, Metaverse experiences is this project called Decentraland. And it's, it's based on the Ethereum blockchain. And it's basically this like virtual reality world that you can go into and see, see everybody else. But everybody's identity is their crypto address. <laughs> and, you know, so in, without, I don't know if you've been following all the NFT mm-hmm. uh, stories, but and just the movement in general, but, you know, NFTs are unique tokens. Other types of cryptocurrency are uh, fungible. So mm-hmm. NFTs, there's one of that. And then, you know, fungible, there's many of one. So like a currency, Bitcoin or Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And so now NFTs are getting applied to all of your content. So you're, and the NFTs are correlated to your crypto address. So you've got your, you got your wallet and your crypto wallet has all of your content tied to it through NFTs. And you can log into different worlds or networks with your address. And so, so the fact that Facebook is like, you know, and they're launching DM, which is sort of the stable coin crypto project, but like all of these things together, it's like, guess what? They're listening. Mm-hmm. They know that this is where things are going. And Twitter just added lightning payments and which is a Bitcoin, like a sort of Bitcoin tipping system. And I'm not saying that they're doing the right thing. They're still, you know, plagued with surveillance and secrecy and all kinds of crazy algorithms. And, and they're not even close to going the distance, but they are being peer pressured mm-hmm. into freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think that on the long term, uh, they will, you know, I don't think we're going to see a world where they just go away in the same no, way that no, like no. MySpace did. It's, it's, a, they're, they're too deeply embedded. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, and same with the, the, uh, me, the traditional media, you know, I mm-hmm. think that they're going to start doing long form podcasts. I, I, I think, I don't think that they're going to have a choice. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. Um, again, about really engaging people rather than short term, uh, I impact eyeball count. It, it, that doesn't mean anything. I don't think, um, really. So you're absolutely on the right path there. Um, and what do you see for minds as you move forward? Yeah. I mean, we're really focused on rewarding our community as much as possible for their participation in the network. And so, um, we currently are, we, one thing that we've been working hard on is, um, our, so we actually have a token uh, on the Ethereum blockchain, which we reward okay. users, um, minds.com slash token. And you can, so one token is worth a thousand views. So you earn tokens every day for, for the country, for the, how, for your content and your participation. There's a variety of other kind of rewards, and then you can boost your content for more, right. more impressions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did this in direct reaction to, Facebook, you know, restricting everybody's reach. I mean, you can only reach like 3% of your followers on Facebook because mm-hmm. their algorithm is not pure. Right. It's, you know, they're, they're throwing whatever they want into the feed. And so I just, you know, that's very offensive to so many people who spent so much time building up their followings. And then suddenly you can't even reach the people that you, you know, got to follow you. And, mm-hmm. So we're really focused on helping creators get seen and and be rewarded. And we're even bringing some voting uh, capabilities into the token so people can vote on sort of the evolution of the network itself. Um, And, you know, in terms of prioritizing what we build, I mean, we don't want it to just be top down. We want it to be like bottom up with Mm -hmm. what, which direction should we go? So in a sense, it's not so much about, you know, what I think, where I think it should go or where our team thinks it should go. It's really like where, um, you know, what's giving the community the most freedom and voice in, in where we go. And so I just want to keep building that. And that's going to take us to wherever it is decided that we go. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that it's, but again, sticking, always sticking to those core principles of, of transparency and, you know, privacy and people can be as public as they want again. So I think the transparency and privacy are this fascinating paradox where you, 
I mean, they are opposites almost by definition. When you're being super transparent, you're sharing your life. I mean, we're mm-hmm. being very transparent, broadcasting this, this conversation right. right now. And I think that the world is moving into this more transparent reality where we're streaming, we're, we're on Zooms, we're broadcasting, we're posting our lives. And there's something very cool and beautiful about that, but it has to be with consent. You have to be right. the one deciding what you're sharing, right. you know, not Facebook undercover, like stealing your location and, you know, targeting things at you. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. and, 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 you know, having your conversations encrypted by default. And because when you compromise encryption, you actually make everyone more at risk because then even like national security systems and, you know, if the, like the government's messaging systems become compromised when they compromise encryption. They, so, so they're making it harder for themselves to say, to stay yep. safe. And so, yeah, I think that in, in ultimately decentralizing the infrastructure more right now, we're sort of hybrid centralized and decentralized. There's parts of our, of our stack that are, are centralized and parts that are decentralized. And I think that, you know, web three is really about, you know, even if our team is on a plane crash and, you know, hope not, <laughs> but if that happened, we would not want the whole site to just go down mm-hmm. or, you know, if Amazon does something or whatever it is. So, you know, creating that resiliency so that it's a fully peer-to-peer network that cannot get taken down. And, you know, that's what Bitcoin has achieved beautifully. It's just this thing that attracts everybody I, I, I wrote the other day about how Bitcoin is, it's so profound. It, it, com, both communists and capitalists love Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that's because, and, you know, you won't get those two people to <laughs> you know, have a, a, a nice conversation at dinner, but because it's an open source, transparent, fair economic system, they're both willing to come to the table and like run nodes or, you know, use Bitcoin. And so, the systems that are just sort of neutrally fair and uh, democratized, like that's, that's the future on, you know, just check off the box for what industry you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And maybe we had to go through this phase of, of going in the opposite direction to realize how faulty and problematic it is. Um, generally, I'm, you know, I'm sure a few people benefit from it, but, but overall it doesn't help us. Oh, for sure. And again, like I am definitely on a a crusade against big tech in a sense, but I, I also do repeatedly say and try to, to be fair that, you know, there are geniuses who work at these companies and and there have been breakthrough. I mean, look at what we're on right now. I mean, zoom is like a, a web two company, um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, during the pandemic, they they really uh, broke through and it is amazing technology. And there's so many important lessons to be learned just because it is on central servers hosted by a singular company like that's OK. And and, and it just but, you know, it would be great if Zoom, well, you know, maybe open source their code at some point in the future. And there's and, and I think that they will over time move more in that direction. So um, it's really important to give credit where credit's due um, on bringing yep. people together. And yep. um, oh, yeah, no, it looks no, like it, your, uh, your video just froze. You still okay. there? No, I'm still but, here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, um, no, no, so, I agree completely. Yeah. You. And, you know, also just in terms of social organizing, like, you know, social media itself is it. Ha- it's almost like we had to get a taste of the, the power or and those companies had to sort of take it to the extreme in order to, for society to pull back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It had to be pushed to the edge until we realized, you know, there was a danger of falling over the edge big time mm-hmm. and we need to pull back. And I think that's great. And it's awesome that you were one of the first, if not the first, certainly one of the first to recognize that and see what was happening and create an alternative uh, and an alternative model not just one platform. Well, there's a, you know, the open source has a, I think it was maybe uh, Newton or I don't know. This quote is always misattributed, but it's just standing on this. You know, if I've seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure um, the source, but it doesn't matter <laughs> in a sense. And it, it, but we are composed of a puzzle 
of different tools which were open source that we're leveraging and so and you know we did write a lot of stuff from scratch as well but you know we would not be here without the people who open sourced mm-hmm. before and right. you know in other and in, in there are people who are taking our code and building all new things on top of it so i think that um you know maybe we put the puzzle together in in a slightly unique way but it's um i would be just as happy if you know it's more about the end goal which is getting to the making the principles that we care about mainstream not even so much if it's us to take it there right no no i understand that and that's that's great it it shows your where your your heart as well as your head really is that what's important to you is to get this right in this way and if you take it all the way, that's great. If you take right. it some of the way, that's great. Um, it's where you are right now. Um, and again, going back to, you know, previous comment I made, you know, if it's, if you're all about what well, it's got to be me who, you know, it's got to be us who does it and we're not going to let anyone else do it. You probably wouldn't be thinking about <laughs> the very things we're talking about. Right. And I think there, there, there's this almost like sense that people have, you know, even when you're in a room of people having a conversation and like, you know, someone is super egotistical and just like hogging the conversation and it's all, it's, it's all about them. It's this like in the same way that so many of us are allergic to that in a social situation, you know, it's the same with networks and companies. Like you can sort of tell in, Mm -hmm if if you dig, you know, whose interests they really care about. And, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean that you don't care about them or see any value in them, but it means that, look, that's not necessarily um, what we're going for. Right. Not your priorities or not yeah. the way you would do it. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Awesome. Um, Bill, this has been great. I'm sure you've got lots of other things to do apart from talk to me, but um, we'll have you back at some point, I'm sure, as this process evolves. Um, For people who don't know, uh, easy to get um, the Minds app, right? Yeah, yeah. Just you can go to minds.com. You can go get the mobile apps at minds.com slash mobile. And if you want to find me, you know, I'm accessible. Feel free to find me at Otman, O-T-T-M-A-N on Minds. And thanks for having me, Howard. This has been really great. I Yeah, well, let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Really appreciate you and what you have done and the direction you're going in. And again, thanks for your time today. It's been awesome. Likewise.